Tobit, verse 7 to 18. And I'm reading from the NIV. Um, Please excuse my pronunciation. I did practice, but we'll see how we go. Tychicus will tell you all the news about me. He is a dear brother, a faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I am sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. He is coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother who is one of you. They will tell you everything that is happening here. My fellow prisoner, Aristarchus, sends you his greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. You have received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. Jesus, who is called Justice, also sends greetings. These are the only Jews among my co-workers for the kingdom of God, and they have proved a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. I vouch for him that he is working hard for you and for all those at Laodicea and Hierapolis. Our dear friend Luke, the doctor, and Demas send greetings. Give my greetings to the brothers and sisters at Laodicea and to Nympha in the church in her house. After this letter has been read to you, see that it is also read in the church of the Laodiceans and that you in turn read the letter from Laodicea. Tell Archippus, see to it that you complete the ministry you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Amen. Maybe you should get Katie to stay up here so she can keep saying those names for me. She actually did an outstanding job. It's very, very difficult sometimes to know those pronunciations, but she did very, very well. So guys, we're coming to the last um, message in this series on Colossians. And, um, you know, when I started reading this passage of Scripture, I was like, how can I preach a message on this passage of Scripture? These final farewells that Paul is speaking. I was like, Why? Daryl's not here. Why does he give these to me? And then I realized I volunteered for this one. I just like, what a moron. What an idiot. But depending on what translation you have, you will possibly find that at the heading of this um, is that final greetings. That's what they say this passage of scripture is about. And, you know, quite frankly, I could possibly, because of my past history as a salesman and auctioneer, I could waffle on about the final greetings for the whole evening. You would be frantically taking notes, thinking it was an absolutely awesome message. And you only realise when you got home that it was all waffle. There was not a lot said. But when we dig a little bit deeper into this passage of Scripture, it's amazing what is actually said here. And in actual fact, there's a fulfillment here of everything that Paul has taught previously. And so I hope that you come along for the ride and you join. I'm very worried, actually, because uh, when we had the congregational prayer, Heather didn't pray that people's eyes would be open. I think that was important. So uh, hopefully... You'll get enough out of this that you'll be able to stay awake. Let's just pray. Father God, I thank you so much for your presence here this evening. Thank you for the fact that we've been able to meet with you in music and song. And Lord, our desire is to be confronted by your word now. Lord, our desire is that we learn more of you. Our desire is that we are drawn closer to you as a result of what we hear this evening. I thank you, Lord, that you've spoken to me first and foremost. And Lord, I ask that you'll allow me to speak clearly so that those gathered this evening will hear your voice. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. 
So when we think about this on a superficial level, or when we read this through on a superficial level, we can usually pick up a little bit of what Paul is saying. And concealed within this passage of Scripture is actually a living out of what he has already said. Let's think back to what he said back in Colossians 3.11. Can anyone quote it? That's okay. I can't either. So here... Oh, I'm having the same troubles as Pastor Darrell. I didn't turn it on. Colossians 3.11, here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. And in his final greetings, he mentions a number of the people who were with him at the moment as he writes this letter. And they are truly across a number of barriers that Paul has spoken about previously. And Paul has said that these barriers shouldn't exist within Christian circles. And I think the fact that these guys are included emphasised that he lived out what he was actually saying. And we have that first guy that we spoke about. Tychicus. Is that the correct pronunciation? According to Google it is, but I mean it could quite easily be Tai Chi Cus. We'll go with Tychicus. So Tychicus, Onesimus... Aristarchus, Mark, Jesus, who's justice. I mean, as Pastor Darrell said this morning, if you were Jesus at that time, surely you would change your name. So he used justice, Epaphras, Luke, and Demas. And among these men, as the passage of Scripture says, are three of the circumcised. These are committed Jews who, when they heard about Jesus, believed he was Messiah, and so they gave their life to Christ, and they are now following him, believing that all the laws that they were following previously have been fulfilled in Christ. And so they have become Christ followers. They are no longer doing the sacrifices in the temple. They are fully committed to Jesus, and they are following him. So they're the ones that are of the circumcision. And they're some of the first Jewish people that are following uh, Jesus. They are the Jewish Christians. And these days, they are called Masonic Jews. And the rest of the guys, of course, are Gentiles. We're part of that group. Or in line with the passage that we're looking at, they're the Greeks. And most of these men were free men. They were just like you and I. We weren't uh, under obligations to anyone. But amongst them was this guy called Onesimus. And when he arrived in Rome, he was actually running away from his master, from Philemon. And he arrives in Rome, and by divine appointment, God just happens to somehow allow him to have an encounter with Paul. And through that encounter with Paul, Paul actually leaves Onesimus to the Lord. And Onesimus is fully committed to God. And we know that through what Paul says. And then there's Dr. Luke. Luke is the physician who wrote the Gospel of Luke. He also wrote Acts. And he's part of the group that's involved as well. And Mark was present. Now think about this Mark. This is Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. And he was with Paul on his first missionary journey. And they got partway along in the journey. And then who knows what happened. But something occurred. And Mark just thought he couldn't go on. And so he deserted Paul and Barnabas and returned to Jerusalem. And it's this same Mark that Paul and Barnabas had a huge falling out over in Acts 15. And they ultimately parted ways as a result. And they could not agree on whether they should take Mark or not on the missionary journey they were going on at that stage. 
And when you think about it, that's a really interesting group of people to have gathered together in one place. But when you think about what Paul was trying to teach the church in Colossae, it makes a lot of sense. And when you think about those people that were gathered together, there's potential for incredible tension. And then there's also that potential for doubt about the legitimacy of some of them. So hidden behind this group of men, what is being said? What can we learn this evening? And I think the first thing is that we need to defend each other or we need to stand up for each other. We need to vouch for each other as Christian brothers and sisters. When we think about Tychicus and Onesimus, they're being sent to the Colossian church and they're going to be carrying this letter. They don't really know Tychicus. And so he arrives, and they don't really know who he is, but who's he with? He's with this guy called Onesimus, who some would recognize as the slave who ran away from their Christian brother, Philemon. So Tychicus, being in the company of this man who is obviously corrupt, would be questioned. What, what's this guy really like? Is he trustworthy? Why is he coming to us? And you know what? There was no news stories or anything like that. There's a good chance that the news hasn't got back to the church at the time that Onesimus has actually given his life to the Lord Jesus Christ. They're carrying the letter that declares that Onesimus is a faithful brother. And so Paul writes, Tychicus, beloved brother, faithful minister, Fellow servant in the Lord. I think I'm miles behind here. That'll do. Fellow servant in the Lord. And it's obvious that Paul values him greatly and appreciated the sacrifice it would have been for Tychicus to stay with him through all the trials that Paul faced. And Paul says that Tychicus is a faithful minister and it's evident how he ministered for Paul. But also, sorry, ministered to Paul, but it's also evident that he ministered for Paul. Paul was under house arrest, and Tychicus was not confined at all. And so Paul trusted him to take the message that needed to be taken in the surrounded areas. His movements were not confined, and Paul found him dependable. He knew that he could trust him. And although he was not an apostle, Paul used him to do apostolic work. And Paul is basically saying, I know this man. You can trust him. I've journeyed with him. And he has been a loyal and faithful servant to the Lord during all that time. Not only can you trust this guy, you can depend on him. He has been with me through thick and thin. He's a man of his word and he follows his convictions. And then we have Onesimus. And... Paul says, he's one of you. I wonder how that sat with these guys. Onesimus is a slave. They're not slaves. But Paul says, he's one of you. And we see that Paul has elevated him from the stature and position that he had in society at that time. Think about what society thought of slaves at that time. They thought that they were like witless children. They couldn't think for themselves. And if they did happen to think, all they could think about were the crimes that they were going to commit. 
And so they were treated worse than human. And yet Paul elevates Onesimus to this position of being an equal with him. And we know Onesimus is a runaway slave who belongs to Philemon. But after running away, as I said, he's had this encounter with Paul and he's given his life to the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's returning now to Colossae. And I believe part of that is to make amends for the fact that he run, run away. I believe that the conviction that God has placed upon him is for him to return into service for Philemon and to submit to Philemon's authority over his life and to serve him as if he is serving the Lord. And when Paul speaks about Onesimus, he doesn't mention the fact that Onesimus is a slave. But what he does say is that he is a faithful and beloved brother. Paul puts him on that equal standing with himself. He elevates him from being nothing and nobody to being a child of God with equal standing and ability to serve as Paul does. Could you imagine what that did to Onesimus' self-esteem? Could you imagine how that lifted him from wondering what it was going to be like when he returned to Colossae? To be called a serving brother in equal standing with the great Apostle Paul. I don't think we can fathom just how incredible that would have been for him. How releasing for him. How wonderful to think that he was given a position way above what society would give him. And with Paul... It wasn't just empty words. Who did he send back with the greater message of what was going on in his life? He trusted Onesimus to take that message. Onesimus had equal authority in sharing that with the church about everything that was happening for Paul back in Rome. And then there's this situation with Mark as well. And as we said before, Mark is well known in the early church and as is his cousin Barnabas. And in this passage, we've read that it's quite obvious that Mark is highly valued by Paul. He tells the church that they have received instructions on Mark, and if he comes to them, they are to receive him. They are to welcome him. They are to make him one of their own. And it's a different story to what was said in Acts 13, where Paul, Barnabas, and Mark were commissioned for the work. And partway through this missionary journey, Mark leaves, as I said, and he returns to Jerusalem. And Paul is so disappointed with that decision that when Barnabas suggested again in Acts 15 that they take along Mark, he refuses to. And he's adamant he is not coming. And the result is that substantial disagreement between Barnabas and Paul, and they part company. And the thing is, somewhere between Acts 15 and Colossians 4, something has happened with Mark to the point that Paul now considers him to be a valued companion. And again, this is not just empty words with Paul. When we think about what was said, he, he states it very clearly in 2 Timothy 4.11 where he says, Luke is alone with me. Get Mark. Same Mark. Get Mark. Bring him with you. Bring him to me. For he is very useful to me in ministry. There's been this huge transformation in Mark's life where he now knows that he has to serve. And Paul notices that. And Paul forgives him and he restores him to a position of equal standing and equal service with him. The second point, I think, we need 
as Christians and that we get out of this is we need to uphold each other in prayer. Man, I would love to know a heap more about Epaphras. This is the guy who's responsible for the planting, if you like, or the forming of the Colossian church. He came to faith and he returned to Colossae. And he shared the good news of salvation. And people came to faith as a result. And we're told that in Colossians 1.7. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf. And there's a good chance that it was Epaphras who witnessed to those in Laodicea and Hierapolis. And starting those churches that are mentioned as well in this main passage that we've read this evening. And Epaphras is a man who took the commission of God very, very seriously. He believed that when he was told to go and make disciples, that that was all about him. He didn't wait for someone else to come who had more authority. He started telling people about Jesus and how Jesus had changed his life. And it was so transformational that he was making this the primary focus of his life. Everything he did would be through the looking glass of what Jesus would have him to do. And as a result, we've seen these three great churches formed. Wow. Could you imagine if we decided to take Jesus seriously, each and every one of us here this evening, what would happen to Sunnybank if we actually went out and proclaimed the gospel that we know? This place would be transformed. We would have to sell up. We wouldn't have a building big enough to contain the people that it would be required. Epaphras was a servant of Christ and a faithful minister. And Epaphras was incredible because not only did he go out and proclaim that gospel message, he didn't make the churches his own. He knew he was responsible to raise others up. That's the making disciples in the Great Commission. And so there's other people running these churches so Epaphras could continue to share the good news elsewhere, continue to support Paul if that's what he was required to do. He worked in partnership with those who were of the faith. And in Colossians 4.2, Paul says to continue in prayer. And when we hear about Epaphras in this passage of Scripture tonight, he is always struggling on your behalf in his prayers. So you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. This is a man who had others constantly on his heart. He prayed for them all the time. He didn't slot in a short five minutes before he rushed out of the house for the rest of the day. He didn't slot it in just as he was dozing off to sleep at the end of the night. He had large blocks of time with the Lord. And then when these people came to mind throughout his day, he continued to pray for them. It was constant. This is a man who struggled in prayer for the saints. He knew what it meant to intercede for others, to personalise his prayers rather than praying generally. He wanted God's will done worldwide, but he knew that would only happen when everyone got serious about prayer. And that's why he committed himself to it. And we get an idea of this commitment that he had when Paul uses it to express Epaphras' labour in prayer, the word that he uses there is the same word that is used when Jesus was suffering and labouring in the Garden of Gethsemane. 
That's how Epaphras prayed. He interceded for people. And I've no doubt that he's one of those great men of God who groaned his prayers because he struggled so much to see people following Christ and he interceded for them in such a powerful way. So this is a man who prayed believing that God would act on his prayers and answer him. Epaphras is the only man that Paul commends for his prayers. That doesn't mean no one else was praying. It's just it was such a part of Epaphras that stood out. It was obvious. He was what we would call a prayer warrior. And this is a man who wanted to see others reach for Jesus. For those who were in the churches to mature in the faith, to be grown up in the faith. And that everyone would know God's will in their lives. And he prayed accordingly, constantly, fervently, personally, purposefully, and sacrificially. And I believe at the very least he prayed for every member in the three separate churches that he was involved in. And whether he was in Colossae or alongside Paul in prison, nothing prevented him from coming before God in intercession for those he cared for. And there's also this subliminal message in the mix of this as well. And Paul in getting Tychius and Onesimus to tell the Colossian church everything that was taking place. That wasn't so that they could be worried about him. He wanted to, them to tell them about even though all this was happening, he was still standing firm in the faith. Even though this was happening, he was standing firm in the faith. And he wanted the church to pray for him. He wanted the church to support him in prayer. And that's the drive behind this. The third thing I believe that's in this passage of scripture is we need to keep each other accountable. So often when we think about accountability, we think of it in a very negative context, but it isn't always that way. Each and every one of us as Christians, I believe, should have an accountability partner. And so when Paul speaks about Archippus, Archippus, whatever his name is, to fulfill the ministry that he has received in the Lord, this could simply be an encouragement for him. When we hear the word fulfill, it has the idea that God has a definite purpose for him. And he needs to accomplish this. And this could be a case of God working through him to complete the good works that he has prepared for him. That's clear in Ephesians 2.10. And accountability is about people calling us back to Christ so that we're in line with his purposes. And in this very brief comment, Paul could be indicating that although right now things don't seem to be going well, it's going to be okay. Hold firm to the course. Jesus has called you to this work and this ministry for a purpose, and he is not going to let you fail. He has prepared the works for us. Everything we need for the work that Christ prepares is available. We just need to ask, and we need to stand firm upon those convictions and the question is if God has called us for a purpose if he's called us to be in a place regardless of how tough it gets why would you go anywhere else 
Why would you find yourself outside of God's will? Big question tonight is, what's this all mean to us? Defend each other, uphold each other in prayer, keep each other accountable. When we think about the culture that is so often associated with churches, I think there is enough evidence around, and you've heard enough from your friends, to indicate that churches can be very lonely places. Churches are often places where others are excluded. We form our little cliques. We gravitate to those that we're comfortable with. We want to speak to those we know are going to respond favourably to us. And for new people coming in, unless they fit into a certain mould, they're often ignored. They're often put on the fringe. I'm not saying that is Sunnybank. I don't know. But that is often the case in churches. And when we think about those people who surrounded Paul... He would have been quite within his rights to say something along the lines of, in my experience, John Mark has proven to be unreliable in ministry. It would be a true statement. And yet John Mark has proven himself to be a greater man than that. And he could also have said something about, be careful about Onesimus. He's a new Christian. He hasn't proven himself yet. Remember... He is a slave. And again, that is not even mentioned. Neither of these things happened. Instead, he elevated these two men, defending them against anyone who may have negative things to say about them. So we need to defend each other. Most of you are aware that um, I have the unenviable history of being removed from a church. And during that time, there was one man who stood up for me. There was one man who said, no, I, I think with everything that's going on, Charlie has remained faithful. And this one man, unbeknownst to me, gathered four or five people with him. He prayed for me for four years. And many years later, I was actually asked to return to that town uh, I was actually asked to speak in that church once and I declined. I just didn't think it was worth going there. I've attended the church, but I haven't spoken there. And I spoke in a little Wesleyan Methodist church. Uh, and after the service, there were four dear old ladies that came up to me. And they said, do you remember us? And I said, I, I do apologise. I said, no. And they said, well, we remember you in our prayers weekly. And we've had David Stark encourage us to pray for you because he believed that you were going to go on in the faith. I'd just given a word from God in their church. At that stage, they didn't know I was going to be a pastor. David Stark would never have known I was going to be a pastor. I didn't know that. And yet this man stood up against everyone else and said, no, I'm going to stand for Charlie. I believe there's something there that is worth praying for. I believe there is hope. There are people sitting around you tonight who don't have that hope. There are people who need to be encouraged and strengthened. And guys, more than anything, when we face opposition, I say we, not pastors, we. When we face opposition, because of our Christian faith, it is incredible to know that we have others who will 
faithfully stand with us and say, no, I know this guy, I know this girl, I know that they are faithful followers of our Lord Jesus Christ and I, for one, am going to stand with them. They're weird, they do crazy things, but I love them. They're my brother and sister in Christ. There's also that call to prayer. Prayer is an interesting thing. And I don't consider myself a great prayer, but I love praying for people. And I, I've got to tell you, I've been praying for people in Sunnybank. I've seen some incredible things happen. And if I could call some of the people up that I've been praying for and the answers to prayer that they've had, you would be blown away. Prayer is an incredibly powerful thing and there's nothing else you can do to get to know someone. Pray for them. Pray for them. We have to be faithful in our prayers. We uphold each other in prayer. And part of upholding each other in prayer is responding to the promptings by God. I, I've been woken many times in the night and just tried to roll over and go back to sleep and God's laid someone on my heart. It's like, let's pray for this person. And you would be amazed how many times I phoned that person the next day and said, look, it was about 2 o'clock in the morning. God laid it on my heart to pray for you. And I think I prayed something else like this. <laughs> but, you know, they really needed prayer at that time. They were in a conflict within themselves. They were struggling with something. And Jesus laid it on our heart to pray. I'll tell you another story just to let you know that I'm not great when it comes to prayer. I was walking through Garden City actually a few years ago and uh, I was wrestling with God about my prayer life and things like that, the things I should be doing. There's this guy in a wheelchair and God said, I want you to go up and lay your hands on him and pray for his healing. I was like, are you nuts? I, I didn't know this guy. And me and God had this big wrestle right there in the middle of the shopping centre. I can't really say I won, but I refused to do what God called me to do. What would have happened? What would have happened? Maybe nothing. And can I encourage you? Because I regret not doing it. I really do. Can I encourage you? When God calls you to do something which is a bit left field, your first prayer should be for 20 seconds of courage. God, just give me this 20 seconds to do this thing and then just step out and do it. You know, if that guy wasn't healed, big deal. But we should pray with expectation that God will, will heal. Is God capable of healing someone? Amen. Can God heal a paraplegic? Can God raise people from the dead? Why don't we pray that way? You know, if God decides to do that, well, that's his choice. We don't know what's going on behind the scenes. But we should pray with an expectation that God can do it. And when we pray about our Christian brothers and sisters in Christ, why can't there be the next great evangelist in Australia sitting here tonight? Why can't it be one of these young men, one of these young women? Why can't it be one of these old men or old women? Sorry if I've insulted you. But why not? Let's pray with expectation that the gospel is going to go out from this place into our community and it is going to have an impact. It is going to change the world and you are going to be instrumental in doing that. Why don't we pray that? I think we should. And you know, if God lays on your heart that you're to be the person who's to go out and proclaim the gospel to your friends, you know what? I'm going to keep you accountable. And that's not to bludgeon you over the head with my Bible. That is not to tell you what a bad person it is. But that is to say to you, did God say that? Oh, that sounds a bit like Adam and Eve in the garden, eh? But did God say that? And if your confirmation is, yes, God told me that, then what are you doing with it? 
Why are you running from this thing if you believe God has called you to that? You know, when I became a pastor, I, I make it sound like it's a really bad thing. Can I just say, if you hear me talking about becoming a pastor and being the most reluctant pastor in Australia, it's true. I didn't want to be a pastor. I mean, I was a real estate agent, an auctioneer. I was very good at it. And, and I loved being an auctioneer. That's not difficult for you to imagine, is it? And the thing is, I loved doing that. I thought that was going to be my career in life. And then God called me to become a pastor. Do you think my wife wanted to be a pastor's wife? No way. And I didn't want to be a pastor. That decision was made in a two-week period. I went from being a real estate agent to being sitting in Bible college studying for three years. That is just nuts. But the thing is, being within God's will is better than anything else in the world. And pastoring is not an easy vocation. And if I did not believe that this was God's will, I would give it up tomorrow. Don't feel sorry for me. Seriously, don't feel sorry for me. This is the best thing in the world. Being able to speak to people about Jesus day in, day out. And you know what? When you're a pastor, they expect you to. What an incredible blessing. Man, I got sidetracked in a big way there. Accountability is important. You possibly aren't aware, but as a pastor, I have to have a mentor. It's a requirement of my registration. And I spent a long time trying to find a mentor who was going to kick me up the butt if I needed it. I needed someone who was going to hold me accountable to the things that I believe God was calling me to. And I went through three before I found the mentor I have because the mentors I had were like, you're doing a great job, Charlie. This is fantastic. Praise the Lord. Let's just pray together. It was all warm and fuzzy. It was really nice for me. And I just had this nagging little voice, you know. If you want to progress, if you want to go far, if you want to do the right thing for Jesus, you need someone who's going to hold you accountable. You need someone who's going to ask the hard questions. And I'm sure a lot of people know the Circum family. Dan Circum was involved in, in leading the youth uh, at a camp recently. Well, his father is my mentor. Whoa. He calls it the way he sees it. And I am so delighted that he's my mentor. I'm not giving him up for love nor money. And he calls it the way it is. You know, I'll say something to him about what's happening in ministry, and he goes, whoa, whoa, whoa. You know, when we talked back in December, and you said this, and you said you believe God was doing this, and God was doing this. Did God change? It's like, oh, man. And he calls us back to that position and that point. And that's what we need as Christians. Guys, I'm so far away from my notes. I'll wrap it up there, eh? But I want to encourage you. You know, you hear me up here, and sure, some of you might just think I'm bumping my gums for no reason whatsoever. My desire is to see you grown in the faith. My desire is to see you drawn closer to God. And guys, I, I, I say it over and over again. If you want prayer, please come to the front. And this is not about persecution. This is not about judging you. This is not about laughing because you're not achieving something you should achieve in your life. This is about... Being together, upholding you in prayer, strengthening you in the faith. And if I don't get to do that, I might as well quit because I believe that's what I'm here to do. I'm no better than anyone else here, but I am here to encourage you. I am here to strengthen you. And I want desperately to be able to do that. And I'm sure that's true for all the pastors that are in this place. I'm going to close in prayer, guys. Hand back to the team.
Let's just pray. Father, I, I want to thank you first and foremost that you give us your word. Lord, it is a powerful word and it is a word that speaks so strongly to us. And Father, I pray for each person that is here this evening that they have heard your voice. That Lord, they will respond to you. They will hear what you have said to their hearts. And Lord, help them not to push that aside. Help them not just to think that that was for someone else. Lord, if you've spoken this evening by power of Holy Spirit, my desire is that we, me included, Lord, will respond to that. You already know the work that you've done in my life as a result of this message, Lord. And I ask, Lord, that you will just draw those people to yourself that need to do work with you this evening. I pray, Lord, that you'll bring them forward for prayer. I pray that together we can come into your throne room and just lay our burdens at your feet, Lord, and be released from that which is holding us back from being all we can be in you. Father, we want to have an impact upon our community. I don't know any Christian who doesn't want to do more for you, Lord, but we're afraid. We don't trust you as much as we should. We don't rely on you for the gifts and abilities that you can just pour out upon us, Lord, if only we ask. So, Lord, will you cause change this evening by power of Holy Spirit? Will you cause us to depend more upon you? Will you call us close to yourself so we can just see the incredible Heavenly Father you are, who is so willing to pour your blessings out upon us? And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.